Do you know where the most common broken bone in the body is? It's the collarbone. And I know because I recently broke mine in a bike accident. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ben Leonard. Here are a couple headlines that I'm watching. At a pledging event in Berlin on Tuesday, fundraising for polio came up short, hampering the worldwide effort to eradicate polio virus. Governments and foundations committed more than $2.5 billion to the Global Polio Eradication Initiative. That amount is slightly more than just half of what's needed. The World Health Organization General Director warned that if we don't deliver on our goal of ending polio everywhere, it may resurge globally. And... President Joe Biden signed a national security memo Tuesday directing officials across nearly two dozen agencies to prioritize biodefense and pandemic preparedness. Aaron Banco has the story. Yeah, the administration, sort of led by the National Security Council, has been talking about ways to prepare for the next pandemic for quite a while, basically since Biden entered office. But it's been really slow going. So as a lot of people might know, there have been individual agencies throughout the administration, both in the Trump administration and the Biden administration, that have been doing a lot to prepare for the next epidemic, a potential pandemic, things like trying to figure out where we want to invest money in next generation vaccine, therapeutics, things like this. But we really haven't heard from the administration a really clear cut policy and strategy for how they wanted to move forward on both biodefense and pandemic prep, which are two, as you know, completely separate sort of big projects. Um, So this is the first time we're seeing both the full-fledged strategy come out, but also the implementation plan that comes along with it. Are there any sort of elements in this plan that you see as sort of unusual? That's a really good question. What I find interesting about this new strategy is it really plays up the need to prepare for biological threats and to sort of put up our defenses in that regard. This is something that the Trump administration focused on more than they focused on pandemic preparedness. So for those of you who remember, the Trump administration sort of rejiggered the National Security Council, whereby they folded a lot of the global health threat folks into different positions in the National Security Council, where the focus was more on biological threats than it was on viral threats, which is sort of one of the reasons why we weren't really prepared for COVID-19. I mean, nobody was prepared for it, but this key office within the National Security Council was dismembered, basically. So now what we're seeing is the Biden administration beginning to focus on that biological issue more so than they have in the past. It's really been about viral threats, pandemic preparedness, you know, vaccine, therapeutics, tests. So it's been interesting to see how the National Security Council officials are talking about this biological threat. There aren't a lot of details about exactly what the plan is to prepare for either accidental or purposeful biological incidents, but it's interesting to see them sort of begin to talk about this. Why do you think now they're starting to talk about this more so, the biodefense side of things? Generally, when we talk about pandemic preparedness, you know, in the past, we've really talked about it as a global development and health issue rather than a national security issue which advocates and health experts in the global health community have really pushed for this to become more of a discussion about national security. And the reason why more of the NATSEC angle is coming into play here, which also brings in that biodefense angle, is that they're beginning to realize a lot of officials and these public health experts that the funding for global health security and development is somewhat limited. 
the development budgets are somewhat limited. Now, if we were to hypothetically expand the rhetoric and talk about these issues more in a national security sense, that the funding pie could actually be a lot bigger. And I think that's why we're beginning to see this sort of switch in the way people are talking about it. And the biodefense angle is also coming up, I think, because we're talking more about China, right? The National Security Council has begun, given what we've seen going on in China over the past few weeks, you're beginning to see national security officials really talk about China again in a big way. So there's been sort of a lot of talk and not a ton of action on pandemic preparedness overall, I would say sometimes, you know, especially in Congress. Is there a sense that this is different in some way, you know, the Biden administration moving on its own here? Do you think, you know, this will make more of an impact? I think it's fair to say that the U.S., the EU, a lot of different wealthy Western countries are way behind in their pandemic preparedness work. You really see industry and philanthropy taking the lead here. You've seen billions of dollars already put up in pledges and commitments from both of those two different groups, philanthropy and industry, in, for example, investing in next generation vaccine. You've also seen some of these like cryptocurrency guys from Silicon Valley begin to talk about vaccine investment. So what we're seeing from the Biden administration, I think, is just a really just a first step laying out a strategy. But there are no like big new initiatives being announced. Right. This is going to take first time and second funding. It's going to be really interesting to see how the administration gets around this funding issue. There seems to be very little appetite among Republicans, but also among some Democrats to fund anything First of all, emergency health related, but also just anything health related right now, um, at least as it relates to COVID or the pandemic or pandemic preparedness. There's like a big Senate bill, as you know, that's been sort of in limbo, (laughs) stuck on the hill. The administration sort of faces an uphill battle in convincing lawmakers that we need this kind of money to prepare for what might be another COVID later down the line. So it'll just be interesting to see how they get around that. Well, thanks so much for making time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Earlier this month, the Department of Health and Human Services set a big deadline to require healthcare organizations to share all electronic healthcare data. Yeah, I think of this as, you know, healthcare finally discovering the internet. <laughs> this is Mickey Tripathi, head of the federal health IT office at HHS. <laughs> that we, you know, finally are able to say, you know, all of the things that we're used to um, having uh, the internet having enabled in almost every other walk of life, from airlines to ordering food to international travel to banking, we want to bring that kind of capability to healthcare as well. Achieving seamless health data sharing is something the industry has been trying to do for decades. The idea behind this is to promote competition among healthcare providers and other healthcare organizations by ensuring they aren't blocking the flow of health data. But groups including the American Medical Association, the American Hospital Association, and the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives asked HHS to delay the regulation because they thought healthcare organizations weren't ready. When this happened, I asked Mickey if they were going to end up delaying the rule, and he basically told me that it had been a long time coming and that patients couldn't wait any longer for this. We certainly respect and work very closely with a number of those groups. And, you know, and there was certainly concerns about, um, about you know, any change 
Um, but that said, you know, if you think about every other walk of life that every, that every one of us goes through, electronic information and the instant availability of information has done a lot to improve the quality of our lives. One thing that I'm watching out for is how this plays out in practice. Uh, right now, there aren't penalties for providers that are found to be engaging in information blocking, but there are for other types of organizations that do this. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in practice. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Amen is the executive producer of Audio Politica. I'm Ben Leonard. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.